There is no amount of anything that another person can say or do that can control the heart of a person. We certainly can say and do things to influence, right? But where your heart is, where your real attitude is towards God, towards other people, towards life, that really is something that you possess between you and Him, the Lord. The Lord is there. The Lord knows the hearts of people better than we even know ourselves. But what's really in the hearts of people, what's really in your own heart, is something that you need to exercise diligent care over. Because there are good influences, there are evil influences. You might be sitting here right now and you've already checked out. You don't even care about what I'm saying. Your mind may be somewhere else because you decided before you even sat down, you have no interest in hearing any of this. I can't control that, nor will I try. You may be here right now and you may be hungry and on fire because you're looking to meet with God today and you want Him to speak with you and you want Him to lead you and instruct you and guide you and teach you and encourage you. And so you don't want anything to distract you and get in your way. There's nothing I can do about that either. Right? That's all between you and Him. But the heart is where we meet Him, isn't it? Our works have a place in our existence. Our words are important. But the heart is where somebody meets God. That's why the Bible says when, when, God, when God spoke of of David, when, when Israel really blew it by making Saul their king, and the testimony about David was that he was a man after God's own heart. Listen, David had tendencies that were violent. He had tendencies that were maybe selfish. He, he maybe like used his power a little too much in certain areas to take certain advantages for himself here and there. But God saw the heart and used him mightily. Not everything David did was bad. You read in the Bible, most of what David did was really good. But he had those bad moments, but still the heart. God met him there. And that's why when you read the Psalms that he wrote, there's so much, not just human eloquence, but there's heart, zeal, and love for God. When the Lord Jesus walked the earth, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 15 now, Matthew chapter 15, please, in verse 1. 
when the Lord Jesus walked the earth, we have, we have so little of what was said and done in his life recorded in writing for us. But we, we would have every now and then these encounters that are written down that we can read wherein we can see His own heart and we can see how He can evaluate and try to mold and shape the hearts of those who listen to Him. Yet still knowing that the heart was something between a person and God. And we come to such a passage of Scripture today And I know when I read it, it'll just sound like another one of those passages of Scripture where Jesus puts the Pharisees in their place and goes on to teach the real truth to His disciples. And it is that. But it goes deeper. This passage of Scripture I'm going to read today ought to cause you to really sincerely say things like, change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Make me more like You. We ought to be able to say at any given moment, even in all the ebbs and flows and ups and downs and joys and struggles of life, with my heart rejoicing in Him, with my mind focused on Him, with my hands raised to the heavens, Lord, I sing to You a new song, which has nothing to do with music, but it has to do with what? The heart. The new song can be musically the same words and the same melodies and the same rhythms and the same sounds over and over and over and over and over again. But the heart sings the new song that rejoices and exalts God because of His grace and because of His salvation. The heart. The heart. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that as we read your word today, and as I make a few of my own thoughts about it, which aren't really that important, but I pray that we would hear, Lord, from you, and that in our spirits we would be taught, and that as we go, we would have strength from you to be doers of your word, not just hearers. We certainly do need to hear. And I pray that we would listen and be eager and hungry and humble in our hearts, desirous of you. But let it not stop there. Let us be doers of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. Follow along in your Bibles with me. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? 
For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Jesus hits a lot of things there, doesn't he? But the prominent thing that he hits is the hearts of people who would call him Lord. The prominent thing that he addresses, the singular most important thing that the Lord is trying to teach about there is the heart of the person who would desire to call his father their father to call His God their God as well. Where are our hearts? There's three distinct sections that if you really sit and read through this and and break this passage down, three things happen, and we'll get right to it. The first of them is that these scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem, they come and they make an observation that Christ's disciples are not eating with washed hands. And Jesus rebukes them and takes that rebuke even beyond just pointing out what was wrong with what it was that they were saying, but does what? He shows by quoting from Isaiah that the real problem is They're concentrating on the external forms of what they do 
but their hearts are really somewhere else. Right? So that's the first part of this. Then, in the second part of this, then he calls a multitude together and basically says to them that uh, here's the real truth. It's not about washing your hands and eating defilement into yourself, etc. And then when he teaches that, his disciples come to him and say, that was offensive, you know? I mean, I mean you spoke that, but the Pharisees, they were really, they were really offended by that. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to point out what? It's really important that you take care of who you're listening to. Because who you listen to has, he doesn't say this, but who you listen to has an effect on your heart. And he says, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a ditch. So you need to be careful. Because you don't want your heart to fall into a ditch. And then in the third and final part of this, he really gets down to it when he explains the parable to them, they ask him to. And he talks about what? He talks about the heart specifically in the most detail in the third part of this when he talks about how the heart is where he's not being arbitrarily negative, but he's a good, listen to me, listen to me, he's a good teacher. And good teachers say the hard things to people that they need to hear. Because sometimes thoughts need to be corrected. Attitudes need to be straightened out. And sometimes pointing out what's wrong and what the propensity to fall into evil can be needs to be brought to the forefront so that people may be alerted to the kinds of traps that they may fall into. Jesus being the marvelous teacher that he is points out to them the heart is where evil comes out from, not come into you through food that you may have touched with unwashed hands and then eaten, right? The real evil lurks in there. And the propensity for a person is to go. And and what he points out is, look, all, all of the goodness in the world, all of the good things you think you can do, nothing covers a wicked heart. Because if you live a life that you think is filled with good works, yet on the inside you're filled with evil thoughts which produces false witness, blasphemy, murder. Murder in the heart he's talking about. Adultery in the heart he's talking about. Right? He says those things, of course they're the actions themselves are bad and damaging. But murder can occur in the heart. Adultery, he said this in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? You, I mean, you've, said, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. I tell you, if you just look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. See? That's why the proverb of Solomon says to keep your heart what? Guard or keep your heart what? Three words. Duh, duh, duh. Guard your heart what? Mm, mm, mm. With all diligence. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all 
diligence. Not guard your heart diligently. Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs forth the issues of life. Everything. The issues of life. If you're alive and you do something, that's an issue of life. Your whole life is one continuous perpetual string of the issues of life. And every response, every action, every word, everything, even you do hidden in secret. You don't really do anything in secret. You know that? Because God even observes the hearts of men. So you're not doing anything in secret. But all of it comes from your heart. And in the wickedness of men... They believe that they can do good things to atone for the wickedness that is in their heart, which produces the wicked things that they do. Such was the case in the beginning of the chapter. Right? But men, we, we do that too. We don't do it with religious ceremony, the way that the Pharisees do here. We do it with other ways. We do out of guilt, a desire to impress others. Whatever the case may be, we have to guard against it. God cares about the heart, right? This comes up all over the place in the Bible. You're commanded in 1 Corinthians to love. The greatest thing of all is to love one another. That comes from the heart. And you're told, even if I speak with every tongue, even if I give my body to be burned, if I sell everything and give everything to the poor, if I don't have love, it's nothing. The heart. The heart. That's why you've got to keep it and guard it with all diligence. You have to be careful of what influences your heart. And may I suggest to you that everything and anything can influence your heart. Nobody can control it. That's between you and God. You and God have that private secret thing, your heart. That's you and Him. But all sorts of external things can influence it. For good, for evil. The passage starts like this. Watch this. Watch this. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem. Stop there. Jesus is in Galilee. We know from the story that he had just crossed the sea. He had walked on the water, right? And he came to... uh, Genesaret, the end of the previous chapter says, and he healed a bunch of people and it was awesome, right? But then we're told that scribes and Pharisees who were not Galilean, they were from Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus drew people from everywhere. But these are, these are people that are from like headquarters, if you want to view it that way, right? These were people who were close to the center of all of the religious activity. These were people who knew firsthand and before anybody else everything that the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem decreed. And so they come to Galilee because they know that all of this is going on. All of this stuff. Jesus going into synagogues and teaching. Jesus healing people, even on the Sabbath. Jesus drawing all these people to Himself by the beauty of the things that He did and the graciousness of His words which astonished people left and right. 
Word reaches Jerusalem and you have these scribes and Pharisees who are from Jerusalem and they come to Jesus with an observation. An observation that rubbed them the wrong way and they are not going to keep their mouths shut. Listen, forget about the fact that the guy just walked across the Sea of Galilee. We're still going to share our opinion with him. How about that? (laughs) Uh, You walked across the lake? Maybe I'll save my thought for another day. Maybe I'll listen to you. No, they're going to say, why do your disciples transgress? Transgress, it implies that they've sinned. Why? Because that's that's what sin is. It's transgression of the law. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Well, I didn't know we could transgress the tradition of the elders because the elders didn't create us or give us their law. He might have said. Because they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Now look, kids, when mom and dad say wash your hands, Before you eat, do not say to them, but Pastor Lou said, I don't have to do that. I'm just just eliminating that possibility right now because that's not what I'm about to say. However, what was this tradition? If you read through the passage, the context of the passage reveals what this tradition is. it's, It's that they believed that as they went through the course of the day, they may have, even imperceptibly and unknowingly, come into contact with something that may have caused them to become defiled. And then, follow it through, if they sit down to eat and they pick up food and put it into their mouths and eat it, what's happening? The defilement that they may have picked up is being transmitted from their hands to the food and then from the food into their mouths and so they're becoming unclean before God. When I was a kid, we called that cooties. (laughs) Right? You get the invisible spray can and you spray people away. But it's superstition. They taught this as though it were a command from God and told these... Listen, you see what's going on here. These are the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem and they're in Genesaret. So these are... I want to be careful how I say this, but these are the city slickers who have come to the country bumpkins who they think are just rubes, unsophisticates, right? Right? And they just don't get it. They're like the henchmen of the Sanhedrin. And they're out in the country because they've heard about Jesus. And they are, listen, they are looking for something that they can find to show that this Galilean. We already know nothing good comes out of Galilee. Nazareth. Are you serious? He's from Nazareth and he's a Galilean. Like, yeah, this, this is the Messiah, right? You know? So they're, look, they're looking for anything they can find. They don't wash their hands before they eat. They're all unclean. No way this is from God. They thought they had him, right? So, how do you think Jesus responds? He responds 
in a way that is so Jesus, right? He just turns it around and brings the matter to what really is important, which he says a couple of things to point out why they're wrong and why what they're doing is wrong. But then he gets at, with this brilliant quotation from Isaiah, he gets at the real issue, which is that even though they speak this and they pass, you know, you know, they, they, they intended for their laws to be so serious. Because Listen, God chose us. and Listen, we are the people of God and we are going to serve the Lord. And man, man we, are so, we are so close to God. We love God so much that we won't even put food in our mouths before we wash the Gentile cooties off. but their hearts were miles and miles and miles away, just like Isaiah said. So Jesus answers them and says, notice the deliberate use of the same word, transgress, right? They say, why do your disciples transgress the, decision, the tradition of the elders? Jesus says, why do you also transgress what? The commandment of God. Because of said aforementioned tradition. Right? So, wow. I mean, boom. I mean, I mean, they come, hey, transgressing the tradition of the elders. Well, guess what? Your tradition is actually a transgression of the commandment of God. And then he, he hits a tradition that they have, and this You can't say this for sure, but if you read this passage over and over and really think about it, maybe, don't take this as dogmatic, but I think this is a very interesting way to look at this. Maybe you get a little sense of what life for a Jew was like in the first, what life for like a, 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 a country Jewish person was like. Like, it reads to me like the shakedown is occurring. Like part of the reason why these scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem used to fan out and go through the country was what? To get money. You know, to get, to, 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 you know, to get money for the, for the religious operation in Jerusalem. And so what happens here is this. Jesus answers and says, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And it's so interesting because after rebuking them and calling that thing, that tradition, a transgression, then he launches right into another tradition that they have. And he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. Commandment of God, yes or no? Right? I mean, yeah, one of the Ten Commandments. So, like, the earliest form of God's codified law contained that one. Right? Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with a promise, right? Honor your father and your mother and your life will be long on the earth, right? And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. So in other words, Jesus says, God's command is very clear. You have been commanded by God to honor your parents. That is to help them. They've spent their entire lives and all of their work helping you and trying to guide you along. There will come a time when you need to help them. Honor your father and your mother is not just about kids obeying mom and dad. It's about honoring your parents and and doing good by them 
even for their whole lives if necessary. Right? If you don't think I am, just read on and what, what Jesus says. He says, you say, here's one of their traditions, who, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received to me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Well, isn't that convenient? So, God says, honor your father and your mother, and whoever curses his father or mother be put to death. But here come the religious leaders who say, yeah, but let me tell you something. If you take whatever benefit, and the idea here is whatever support, financially or, or, or even other ways, you know, time, energy, whatever. But mostly I think what's in view is money. And whatever support that they have received from you, the, the Greek word is, is korban, korban, korban. In other words, you know what? I'm going to take this, and I could use this to honor my parents, but I'm going to make it a gift to the temple. I'm going to make it a gift to the to the, to, the, to the religious leaders, right? Their tradition was if you did that, you were released from your obligation to your parents, right? What's the problem with that? The problem with that is God didn't say it. The problem with that is God didn't change honor your father and your mother. They did. It's on the same level as you need to wash your hands before you... You do need to wash your hands before you eat so you don't get sick and germs and all this. But, but, but you can't eat like sin into yourself. And that's basically what they said. Right? So don't, don't, don't change God's commands because of your own traditions. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! What's a hypocrite? The best, the best simple one-word answer is an actor. A hypocrite is someone who plays a part. They play a role. They're doing something, but what you see them doing is not really what they are. And then he quotes from Isaiah. These people draw near to me with their mouth. Right? They draw near with their mouth. They say praise. Oh, we really need to pray for them. Ooh, really, we just praise the Lord. We just love God. Ooh, we're, you know, oh, you know what? I am going to wash my hands to make sure no infection of the world comes into me when I eat. You know, I was going to like give this to my parents and help my parents, but how selfish of me. I'm going to make it a gift to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the religious order in Jerusalem. I'm just going to give it to the temple. You know, it's, and so I'm released from my obligation. I just love God. God so much. Look at me. A lot of it is this. Look at me. 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 These people draw near with their mouths. What comes out of your mouth is important. It's not to say that it's not. The book of Hebrews talks about us bringing the fruit of our lips to the Lord. But may I say to you that our speech 
which glorifies God must be attached to a heart that is in the same place. And that's what Jesus points out by quoting Isaiah here. Yeah, they they draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you think that he means to say, well, at least they honor me with their lips, so that's good, but their heart is far from me. Do you think that's what he means? No. What he's trying because he just called them hypocrites. They're actors. They say all kinds of things here. They say all kinds of things in this setting. They say all kinds of things to these people. They say all kinds of things in public, you know, but really their hearts aren't in what they're saying. Their hearts are not in what they're doing. Their hearts are not there. Their hearts are far from the Lord. In vain they worship me. Look at that. In other words, their worship is nothing. Vain means empty. They could try all they want. They could speak all they want. They can sing all they want. Their heart's not here. Their heart's not in it. Their heart is entirely after themselves. They were entirely about their own motives. They were about their own power. They were about their own position. They were about their own prestige. They were about their own wealth. They were about their own authority over the people. They were about their own control of the entire situation. They were all about themselves and all of their traditions made sure. All of those traditions, what they did is they gave another thing, another thing, another thing, another thing, another thing that they could wield over people to keep them down and keep them under control. That's what all of that was about. And then they worshipped. And God said, vanity. Emptiness. Nothing. You know what's funny? This is not funny, haha, funny, but you, you know that the, one of the commandments is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we associate that with what? Bad language, profanity. OMG. JC, GD, you know, that stuff. And that's possibly, likely part of it. I don't think that's what taking the name of the Lord your God in vain means. I think this is what taking the name of the Lord your God in vain means. It means to like speak God's name, but it's hollow. It's a shell. It's empty. That's what vain means. Vain means useless. I think that, I think that like when you curse and you make profane statements and you invoke one of the names or titles of God, that's blasphemy, which is something different. Blasphemy is a very specific sin, right? Jesus, when he taught us to pray, the first thing he said was, hallowed be thy name. God's name is holy. And when you use God's name the wrong way like that, you're blaspheming his name. But to use his name in vain is something different. To use his name in vain is to speak as if he's your God when your heart is somewhere else. Like Jesus is saying. That's why Jesus applies Isaiah's words to the situation. You know, I thought to myself as I was thinking about this section of the, of the passage here, and, uh, and this is the first part of it right here, 
that there are three things, there may be more, but there are specifically day by day in your life, three things that ought to govern how you live, right? Three things. And they're basic. One is God's Word, right? The other is, another is God's Spirit, right? And then the third, listen, here, here's the real kicker. And this is the one that Christians often miss. Of course we should be governed by God's Word. We read, we read God, that was the problem here, is they were setting aside God's Word for the sake of the tradition of the elders. And of course we're commanded to walk in the Spirit and to live in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But here's a third one that we miss, and that is this. We are set at liberty from this very sort of thing. that they're doing. When we come to Christ, we're set free. We're set free from the pursuits of things like this because Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we're not slaves to any of this stuff anymore. And this is sometimes what we miss. And I want, I want you to see one passage of Scripture that I had in mind on this subject. Just really quickly, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. And I'll turn there too, so I can read it to you. First Peter chapter two and verse thirteen. Been thinking about this passage of scripture a lot. Peter, in speaking to believers and how they ought to live in the world in a world where they often suffered persecution, and that persecution often at the hands of the wicked world that hated God, says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. I won't break the place of all of that down right now. Here comes the really relevant part. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. See, the idea is we've been set free from dotting the I's, crossing the T's, washing the hands, all of the traditions of the elders that are passed down, all of the religious exertions that people expect, all of the religious things that people try to put forward as as being ways that you can justify yourself before God or come near to the Lord. We've been set free from all of that and you're simply called to what? Live as a good and decent person and do good. Because the accusation against Christians in the first century was that they were evildoers. They were evildoers because they respected no religious law. They didn't respect Caesar as God. They didn't respect the religious demands of the Roman Empire. They didn't even respect all of the code of the Jewish religious law. And Christianity was viewed very much as a Jewish thing. And so they were viewed as these rebels who just did whatever they wanted to do. They spoke of liberty and freedom from sin. And you could see how that could get out of control. Because like the, the accusations from around were like, these people follow no code, they just do whatever they want. They're wicked, they're evildoers. And Peter says, no, 
Submit yourself to every law. Live as good and decent citizens. So that what? This is God's will that by doing good, you may put all that nonsense to silence. The ignorance of foolish men who would say they're evildoers. It should, listen, people who call, listen to me, people who call Christians evildoers should look stupid because of how we live. Right? That means that when people look at Christians, what they should see are people that do good with their lives. Not because we've been commanded to wash our hands because our, because, not because we've been commanded to wash our hands before we eat be, and, 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 and other such religious superstitions, but simply because we love Jesus who saved us. Now, what's the obvious thing that someone could make an accusation of? Well, this freedom that you speak of is just a license for you to go and do whatever you want. And that's really the only reason they do that. I have had, and I'll tell you, I have had people come and go from this church in my ministry of 17 years, over the years, and in talking to them and maybe getting to know them for a few weeks before they disappear, I've come to realize the only reason they come is because they don't like all the rules in the Catholic church. And they come here and they think that this is Christianity light. And there are, listen, that's true. That has absolutely happened to me many times. And even, even I can say even among certain family members and, and everything else that I have known. They view this as a place where like, you know, you can be in church but not without all of the rules. That's not the point. I hope you don't think that's the point of Fellowship Bible Church. Right? I mean, here's what Peter says. Look, this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. In other words, live as free from all of the religious legalism, all of the wash your hands before you eat because defilement might, might come in. Listen, uh, that you, you, know, you don't need to honor your parents if what you were going to give your parents, you give me anyway. You know, give me instead, then you're set free. Listen, live as free from all of the foolish traditions and all of the religious regulations, but don't use that freedom as a cloak, a covering, a hiding for what? Vice. What is vice? Vice is when I just live and follow all of the lusts of my flesh and just do whatever I want. Peter saw that that could potentially be a danger. Now listen, as Christians, as Christians, we're not called to live a merely outward and external life. We are called to have hearts that are humble and close to God. Hearts that are maintained by reading, studying, learning, believing, and desiring to obey God's Word. Hearts that are intertwined with God's because we're praying without ceasing. We awake. And man, maybe there are days where like, before your feet hit the floor out of the bed, you're laying there and you're crying out to God and you're praying to the Lord and you're asking Him for strength and you're, you're maybe confessing your sins or maybe you're just worshiping Him or you're meditating on something, but you're just, you're just close to God and you're walking with Him and you're listening to His Word. A heart that is led by His Spirit. His Spirit is in you, but you're walking through life and you're not allowing just all the lusts and the mores and values and traditions and everything of this world to control your spirit. 
You're wanting to be controlled by God's Spirit in you and you want to walk according to His Spirit. You live a life of liberty. You live a life of freedom. But you don't use that freedom and that liberty just to satisfy your own lusts. Rather, what do you do? What does he say? But as bondservants or slaves of God. See? I'm not bound to a law, but because I love him, I gladly and willingly make myself his slave. That's what Peter is talking about. And do good with your lives. When you do good with your lives, all of the blasphemies and accusations of the haters of Christ and the haters of Christianity are made to look foolish. And God desires that. All right, back to Matthew. So that's kind of point number one, is that Jesus rebukes them because they taught as if they were the commandments of God, their own traditions. Even told people they were sinning when they did not keep those traditions. And Jesus comes right back and says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is somewhere else. The next part of this starts in verse 10. He says, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Right? So you you get the picture, right? The Pharisees, the Pharisees say to him, uh, to Jesus, they're not washing their hands. The Pharisees have all of these traditions, right? And they're saying it to him. And after Jesus rebukes them, then he calls the crowd. Because calling the crowd is partially for the sake of the crowd, but it's also for the sake of making sure that the Pharisees and the scribes are put on notice as well. So he gathers the whole crowd around and then says, Hear and understand! Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Right? So, he's setting himself up to teach what he's going to say later. But, the point is made in verse 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus then makes what may not be, I'll explain the, the, the not what goes into the mouth defiles, but what comes out when we get to the end of this, because Jesus explains it in verses 16 to 20. So I'll save the explanation for then. But the main point of what he says here in this part of it, when his disciples say that the Pharisees were offended, and the disciples seem concerned about that, by the way, right? I mean, you know, this following this Galilean Messiah is... is is something that's still fairly new for them at this point. And that these are religious leaders that have come from Jerusalem is still seemingly a pretty big deal to them. And it probably is to the people. They might still be a little nervous about all of this. Did you know that the Pharisees were offended? It's a sort, there's sort of a little bit of uh-oh in there. So Jesus, it says, answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Now, that's, that's, that's quite a statement, right? I mean, tell us what you really mean, Lord. I mean, what's he implying there? He's implying that those scribes and Pharisees aren't 
his people anyway, right? So it's like, you know, they, he just got done saying that their hearts are somewhere else. And now he says what? Every plant that my father hasn't planted, he's going to rip up anyway. So he's basically saying is, don't worry about it. They're not. They're not from God. But I want you to see something, though, too. There's a point about God's sovereignty here, too. I mean, God is in control of what people are part of his kingdom, right? And so that's another thing that we should recognize is that when it comes to who is preaching, who is teaching, what sorts of things we ought to listen to, just remember God has got it all under control. The statement is an assertion of the sovereignty of God. He answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. True teaching, true spiritual leadership is planted and installed by God himself, right? Then three words in verse 14. Let them alone. Forget them. Wow. So they come to him and say, did you know the Pharisees were offended? And they're a little nervous about that. Jesus like, so? That's basically what he's saying. So, let them alone. Don't listen to them. When people come with their poison, just don't listen. There's, there's an important passage on this principle that you need to be aware of. I'm sure I've quoted it before, but turn over to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, 17, he says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. See, if you fast forward through history a tiny bit and you get to the time of the Apostle Paul, why does Paul write Romans? He writes Romans because he wants to firmly establish the doctrine that God saves by grace through faith in Jesus and not through the law, not through religion, not through all these other things, right? So, if there are other people that come along and they teach what? It's really the same thing that Jesus was dealing with in the passage we're doing today. They come along and they teach things that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. It's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. The doctrine of God had nothing to do with washing your hands before you eat. But they came along and they brought something that caused divisions and offenses. Right? It, it was an offense. Suddenly, because of their traditions, listen, I want to follow this through. When someone was seen to eat without washing their hands, everyone else would be offended by it. And that would create a division. Even though it had nothing to do with anything commanded by God. 
mean, sin is offensive. There's no doubt about that. But they weren't sinning. They were simply breaking a tradition, something that God had never taught. And so now you fast forward to where, to the period of time where people were really beginning to understand the truth of the gospel and the doctrines of God's grace and the doctrine of uh, justification by grace through faith. And Paul is laying that out brilliantly through Romans. And you know, there can be all sorts of traditions within the Christian realm that could rise up. And many of them have. And many of them came from Rome. And many of them are still around today. You need to be baptized and that will wash your original sin away. And such and such and such and such and such. All sorts of... Listen. And there's all sorts of things that people can teach that can bump you off from understanding and believing what is true. And those things cause division and offenses. And Paul says, after writing Romans, and he's at the very end, you mark those who cause, teach things, who cause those divisions and offenses, and you what? Avoid them. Exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. Let them alone. Leave them alone. Did you know that you offended them? Listen, my father never planted them, so the weeds are going to be pulled out. Just leave them alone. It's exactly what Paul says here. You note those who come in teaching Offense, people coming in causing divisions and offenses by their doctrine and by their teaching. Right? Because, and look at, how will you know? That's what the rest of this passage was about. He said at the end of it, the end of verse 19. Well, verse 19 itself, he says, your obedience has become known to all. Right? That is to say, what they believed and how they were living. Their obedience. The fact that they affirmed the true gospel and were living lives that were consistent with that gospel as a testimony before the world, right? That has become known to all. Yeah? How what you believe and how you live, the knowledge of it spreads. And that had become known to all. And Paul says, therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. I'm happy about that. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. You see? That's what bad teaching, bad doctrine, divisive stuff does. I don't want to be... In other words, he's, when he says wise and simple, he's talking about experience. I want you to be someone who is simple. That is, that is not really that experienced in doing what is evil. But I want you to be wise in doing good, right? Wise in what is good, simple concerning evil. I want your life to be filled with what is good and simple. You know... We don't think of immature as being like good. Here's one area where being immature is actually good. I want you to be immature when it comes to sinning and doing rotten things. Right? We value expertise and excellence. Here's one thing where I don't want you to be an expert and be excellent. I don't want you to be an excellent expert sinner. I want you to be simple. And when people come and teach bad things that cause divisions and offenses, what happens? People become offended. They become divided. They start to say things. They start to do things. And then the testimony of individuals as Christians and even of whole churches can be ruined. And so Paul says you mark people, that is, make note of them, and you avoid them. And that is exactly, a few decades earlier, what Jesus said to his own disciples in Matthew. I offended them. What does that matter to me? It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like you walk out to your garden. 
You walk out to your lawn and you see an offensive weed that's growing. And so you reach down and you pick it up and then you feel sorry for it. You don't feel sorry for it, do you? You don't feel sorry for weeds, right? No, you step back and you look at your garden and you look at your lawn and you say, now it looks right. That's what Jesus said. If it hasn't been planted by my father, he's going to pull it up. Let him go. Let him alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now, you get the idea there, right? They're blind because they don't see truth. And the people who are like, ah, oh, we must listen to... Listen, the people are just as blind. I, someone told me this week that... I, I don't like, like naming names of other preachers and things like this, but, but somebody told me this week that Benny Hinn repented of preaching the prosperity gospel. And I've got to tell you, my first thought was not, oh, great. My first thought was, why did so many people listen to him for so many years? Been preaching the truth for years and saying the prosperity gospel's nonsense. Now, all of a sudden, after millions and millions and millions of dollars and the airplanes and the suits and all that stuff has been acquired, now I'm supposed to say, great. Why did you give all the years of your life? Listen, it is good. If anybody ever repents of that nonsense, it is good. It is good, right? But look, when the blind lead the blind, where do they end up? They end up together in a ditch because they can't see, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. Because of the teaching of these Pharisees and because they're not even his to begin with, the people who are like, oh, yes, yes, follow them, they're going to end up in the same place the Pharisees are, in a ditch, because they can't see. Last part of this is prompted by a question from Peter. And Peter said, oh, by the way, I would be remiss not to point this out because this is the point of the whole sermon. What is the real harm that is caused by the blind leading the blind in, 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 the, in, the, in the parabolic sense the, the, the they both end up in a ditch? I know that. But in real time, what is the real damage and danger of it? It affects the heart. Here, let me use, I didn't plan to do this, but it's just coming crystallizing in my mind now. Let's use the aforementioned example of the prosperity gospel. What's the real harm of the prosperity gospel? Do you know what the prosperity gospel does to the hearts of people? It makes them do exactly what God's word tells them not to do. It makes them lust for wealth. We have our Bibles which say, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then there are preachers who come along and preach, God wants you to be rich, and so you make donations to me, and God will make you rich. Why can't people see that that's wrong? For the same reason that people couldn't in Jesus' day, because they're blind. 
And when the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a ditch. And the real damage is what? The real damage of heresy and bad doctrine and bad traditions is that it damages people's hearts. They Listen, they, they come up thinking that God wants them to be rich. And listen, when the get-rich-quick scheme only works for the guy at the top of the pyramid, which is really what it is, when it only works for the guy on TV with the suit and the private jet and for all the guys who go to the crusades and pour out whatever is in their wallets into the offering plates so he can buy another airplane, sorry if that offends you. I, I don't care. Leave me alone if that offends you. But look, what it does is it corrupts the people's hearts because when at the bottom of the pyramid they don't get what the guy at the top of the pyramid got, they become bitter. They become faithless. Or maybe they just keep trying because eventually God's going to make me rich if I just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. And you see what's happened? The the crime is not that they're broke, though that's bad. The crime is their hearts have become someone who lusts to get rich fast and effortlessly. And that's not biblical. The proverb says what about an inheritance that's gained quickly? What does it say? Flies away. And therefore, we are not to lust for it. And that's the damage of the blind leading the blind. They both end up in the ditch and the heart has been corrupted. And what Jesus is after is not making you wealthy. What Jesus is after is you having a heart like David had. A heart that was like God's. Guard your heart. That was the problem with these scribes and Pharisees. They were taking God's people and turning their hearts somewhere else. Their hearts were far from God and they were dragging everyone else's hearts to where they were. Not good. So then Peter asks, this last part is quick. It really speaks for itself. Please explain this parable to us. I think there's a little bit of exasperation in Christ's words in verse 16. Right? Are you also still without understanding? Right? That's the, like, really? You don't get this? Is kind of what he's saying there. So Jesus, Jesus, he's not sinning. He's not in the flesh. Jesus just had skill and every now and then knew how to just kind of say that thing that would be a little bit of a rebuke, a little bit of a challenge. Right? That's what he's doing there. The master teacher, the master discipler, the master leader. Are you still without understanding also? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth and goes into the stomach is eliminated? Well, that pretty much knocks out the tradition of the the scribes and Pharisees right there. Listen, the law had its ceremonial purpose, but it doesn't really mean, you know, it's kind of like the the New Testament parallel that I see is like like the transubstantiation thing, right? When, 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 When they say... Uh, Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood 
you know, is, is, is one of mine, right? And, and so people literally take that to mean that, like, the, the, the wafers and the, the, the crackers and the juice literally becomes this flesh and blood. You're, you're missing the whole point. I mean, the ceremony has its point. It's symbolic. Just like the ceremonial aspects of the old law, they had their point. But you weren't really eating sinfulness into yourself. I mean, it's not like a cosmic, mystical thing, sin. Don't you understand? Whatever enters your mouth, what happens to it? You digest it, and your body, without getting too graphic, eliminates what it doesn't need. Leave that there. Kids, your parents will explain that when you get home. So, but that's what happens. You're not, hey, listen, Jesus, Jesus had to say this to them. He had to teach them. He had to make sure they understood that because they were led to believe that if they didn't wash their hands, the defilement, which was always in the law, by the, the, there were commands that spoke of needing to wash and purify, but they were ceremonial. The whole point, it was ceremonial. I want to grab someone. It's ceremonial. It's symbolic. It's symbolic. Right? You can't actually justify yourself by washing your hands before you eat. They were teaching that you could. So they're like, hey, look, you know, we go out, we're out, we're walking around, and we might have touched this or bumped into that or brushed this. Blah, blah, blah. You've got to wash your hands because you may have come into contact with something sinful. And then if you use those unwashed hands and you pick it up and you eat stuff, oh, you're not clean before God. And God never said anything like that. That was their tradition. Don't you understand? When you eat it, it goes in. Your body uses what's good, gets rid of what it doesn't need. Simple as that. You know where evil comes from? It comes from in there. It's already there. It's already there. It comes from the heart that is not after God's. It comes from the heart that is corrupted by sin. It comes from the heart that really belongs to every man, woman, and child on this planet. It comes from the heart of simply being a descendant of Adam. We're sinful. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Right? It's what comes out of us, our mouths, that defile us. It's the things that we say that defile us. Because those things that we say come from what's going on in here. Murder. Well, evil thoughts. You don't have to turn there for time's sake. But wow, this is I'm getting a lot of mileage out of Zechariah chapter 8. This is the third time. There's a Fourth time, I even, I even actually posted a verse on Facebook this week, which I haven't done in a long time. But, but there's these, these couple of verses in Zechariah chapter 8 so moved me. God is teaching the Israelites that, look, I, I punished your fathers because they didn't listen to me, but now I'm going to be good to you. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. Each man speak the truth to each other, right? Yeah, and he tells them to be good. And then he tells them, he tells them, do not think evil in your hearts towards your neighbor and do not love a false oath. For these things I hate, says the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 8. He actually tells them, do not think evil in your heart towards your neighbor. That, you know why? Because that's what their fathers did. They thought evil in their hearts 
And so they spoke evil and they did evil. And the whole nation was corrupted and they lost their nation. They lost their temple. They lost their king. They lost their country. They lost their lives. They lost everything. And for 70 years they were exiles because of what was in their hearts. And God says, now I've brought you back from there. Don't you do that anymore. And here's Jesus saying in so many respects the same thing. It's not, it's not cooties that make you evil. It's what's in you. Those things which proceed out of the mouth, they're coming from the heart. That's why you have to guard your heart. It's here where I need to say something about the heart. What is the heart? Not the organ that pumps the blood through your body, but it's, it's rep, the word is representative of the inner man, the spirit. Everything that's in here. All the stuff that's in here. Here's the basic problem with the human heart. Ready? Here it is. I thought about this a lot, and I think I have this right. The problem with the human heart is that we let it control what we think rather than letting what we think and know to be true control it. That's why the Bible says to guard your heart and to keep your heart with all diligence. You need to listen to what is true and to what is correct. You need to have a proper place of humility. You need to have a proper understanding of who God is. You need to understand His grace. You need to be committed to forgiveness and mercy since you're receiving forgiveness and mercy. from You need to be committed to love. You need to be committed to all these things that you know in your mind are true rather than being driven just by what you feel. Oh, you know me. I get this. Well, I see that. Oh, you know, and we, we get all these like emotions and feelings and things that crank us up and we have things and then we lash out. And we speak and we're defiling, 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 defiling. That's what defiles a man. Is when the heart, listen, the heart of men are inclined to wickedness and to evil. Given to sin as the flames fly upward, the Bible says. You ever see anything burn and the flames shoot down? No, always up, up, up. That's like the heart of men. Always inclined to evil. But the Holy Spirit has been given to you that you may walk when you are filled in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, you may exercise self-control even over the heart. You will still have things that bother you. But when the mind which knows what is true and has the proper understanding of God and is praying and is filled with God's Word sanctified and set apart for God, when what we know to be correct and right and proper and true controls this, rather than just being driven around by our nature, which is evil, driven around by our notions and our emotions and our feelings. That's what sets a Christian apart from the rest of the world is we're not controlled by our own spirit. We're controlled by God's spirit in us. 
It's why we're told to walk in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit and not to grieve the Spirit and not to quench the Spirit and to live in the Spirit and to be controlled by the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things that defile us. And where do they come from? They come from in here. That's why we must walk closely with Him. Listen, the power of, did you know, the power of God in Christ is power for tearing down strongholds. Did you know that? Did you know that the power that's at work in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? We don't walk in that power. We still want to walk around and just do whatever we feel. I don't. And I don't want you to either. And we need to help each other. And we need to be humble. And we need to bear with each other. But we need to pray and we need to walk closely with God and be humble and look out for the interests of others rather than ourselves. And all these other things that we talk, occupy yourselves with things that honor and glorify and exalt God. Be filled with His Spirit. It's not, ooh, I touched this, now I've got to wash it off before I eat because I might eat defilement. No, it's, it's not allowing the nature of the old man to control what you say and what you do. And you can't do that. But the power of God in you can. That's why you must walk closely with him. You must live day by day in his grace, even grow in grace, the Bible says. And walk closely with him. Then we can walk around and be a people that are a testimony to his goodness and his power. And God can be honored and glorified by that. I hate not singing the last hymn, but I've taken up all the time. And of course, the last hymn is one of my favorites, but maybe we'll save it for next week or the week after that or something, all right? Let's all stand up together and we'll close the service in prayer.